this is a bit of a crazy time. And you can feel when you've been through the last 18 months, like we all have, that you just feel a little bit like, just fortunate to be alive. Everyone seems to be in one piece. We've got through the first week back at school. We got through the first week back at work. Everyone's still speaking to each other. We're all still alive. Still got a job. Okay, you know, given the challenges we've faced, that, let's just settle for that and let's stop still and just relax for a little bit. Um, but we also know, and I think we probably all sense in some ways in our different contexts, that when all the plates have shifted and the world is a very different place to how it was 18 months ago. There are all these sorts of opportunities that rise up. You know, people's lives have been reordered. People are reconsidering what really matters. People exploring faith for the first time and asking big questions. And there's this opportunity, maybe a rare opportunity in our lives to really rebuild and reshape our, you know, our families, our friendships, our communities, our city, our workplaces, and our church. And so it's so important as we think about how we might do that, we obviously want to use our wisdom, we want to use our strengths, we want to use our skill sets, but we've got no hope of doing that without asking God to help us, asking God to show us what are the gifts you might have given us, and how might I fan them into flame in this season. I guess my question for you today is, if the God of the universe, who knows the end from the beginning, who loves you, who made you for a purpose, has put gifts on the inside of you, don't you want to find out what they are? Don't you want to spend your life using them. And the first thing we see in this passage, if we want to start using our gifts in this season, is we need to be able to see in. Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Paul is in chains in Rome. He's facing execution. Lots of people think this is the last letter he wrote. And he writes to spur Timothy on, this leader who he's raised up and invested so much in. And Timothy is involved in planting a church. And Paul wants to remind him at the start of this, his last letter of what is inside of him. That he has a God-given gift. A gift God has given him by the laying on of Paul's hands. A gift that is on the inside of him. Paul doesn't want Timothy to forget that or to take it for granted. He wants to remind him of it and make sure that Timothy doesn't forget it. And it's hard to um, obviously see inside ourselves. uh, And so it can be easy to forget what's actually going on inside. Or maybe to take for granted the gifts that we've been given, or maybe not realize that they're there at all. That God might have placed gifts inside us in the core of our being. And we know in life there are gifts, uh, and then there are gifts. I mean, there's the kind of gifts you get maybe at Christmas from an auntie, and they're lovely. If you're watching, auntie, they're lovely. And, um, but you kind of look at them, you think, oh, I wonder what thought process went through that. That's really interesting. And, uh, and you kind of put it in a drawer somewhere, and you think that would be really useful at some stage. And then like years later, when you move house, you're like, what is this thing? Like, where did it come from? How is it in my possession? There's gifts like that. And then there are gifts, like really significant gifts, like valuable, purpose-made And the difference really matters. And sometimes we treat gifts 
like they're gifts, and sometimes we treat gifts like they're gifts. We kind of don't really notice them. Uh, my little brother one year came to see me for my birthday, and um, I love my brother. Uh, he's a wonderful guy, but he had a difficult few years. And uh, during those years, I wondered, he's, his name is Paul, and I wondered if he might end up like his namesake in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, um, in only one sense that he might spend quite a lot of his adult life in jail. And, um, and I wasn't sure because he's having a difficult time. But actually, he came through that difficult season. He's doing really well now and doing all sorts of exciting things. But, um, but because of that, I'm always never quite sure what he's going to do. And he said he was really excited. He had this amazing gift for me. And because of some of the gifts he's given me over the years, I kind of was able to contain my excitement. And, um, and so he came for the night. And, uh, and at the end of the evening, he went to his car and he pulled out this present. And uh, it was a painting. And it was this painting. And uh, I'll just, they're going to just show you that painting. So make sure you can see it in all its glory. There we are. That's the painting. And, um, and I just thought it was a beautiful painting. It was a painting of Jesus on a boat in a storm, being woken by the disciples as waves are flooding over the boat. And it was such a powerful painting. I actually said to Paul, where did you get that? That's amazing. He was a bit vague, a bit kind of... Um, ambiguous about where he got it and uh, so a little while after that I googled it and the top hit was this painting and it said it was called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee painted by Rembrandt with a value of over a hundred million dollars and its whereabouts were unknown since it was stolen um, (laughs) from a gallery in Boston in 1990 and all I could think was how old was my brother in 1990? (laughs) Um, but of course, it's just a good print. And, um, but it was a powerful gift. And the reason it was a powerful gift is because my brother knows me as well as anyone in the world. And uh, he loves me. And what he was saying was this gift was basically, Steve, you, you really need to live your life as those disciples on the boat are, captivated by Jesus, reliant on Jesus in the midst of the storm. There was a real significance to the gift Paul gave. It matters what the gift is, and it matters who gives it to you. And the truth is today that the God of the universe who spoke the world into being, who knows the end from the beginning, who knows you better than you know yourself, who formed you while you were in your mother's womb, who has good purposes for your life and shaped you for a glorious purpose, he has deposited gifts on the inside of you. They're not just gifts, thanks so much, put them in the drawer, forget about them. They are gifts, God-shaped, God-selected, purposeful. God is all wise. He loves you and he's picked out specific gifts for you. They're key to your calling. They have the potential to form your life, bless your community, build this church, shape this city and impact the nations. They have huge potential. But do you know what they are? Have you tested them out? Have you tried using them recently? Or have they got a bit rusty in all the lockdowns? What's fascinating about this passage is Paul can see the gift clearly in Timothy. But his fear is that Timothy either can't see him in himself, or he's forgotten about it, or runs the risk of forgetting about it in all that he's going to be facing, all the challenges and difficulties he's going to be facing as he builds the church. Sometimes we need reminding what our gifts are and sometimes others can see what is in us even clearer than we can see in ourselves. When I was 17 years old, um, my youth worker, Susie, um, came up to me and said, I'd like you to speak at a youth night. 
And uh, I thought that was a really bad idea, and I tried to talk her out of it. And she said, no, I, I think it's be really good, Stephen. You'll speak, and speak in church, and uh, there'll be all these people that I think is really important. So I was like, I prepared, and I, I just, I felt a bit nervous. I felt the weight of the responsibility. And if I'm honest, I wanted to make an impact. And, um, and so I got up, and I spoke, and I was very, 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 very apprehensive and very nervous. But there was a moment in the talk where it felt like I had everyone's attention in the room. Like everyone was hanging on my every word. And I thought, maybe Susie's right. Maybe I can speak. And I, I, I got down afterwards and um, I went up to her. And I said, Susie, look, I, I did it. She says, yes, you did. And I said, no, I think I, think I really made an impact. She said, yes, you did. And, um, and I said, no, but there was a moment in the talk. Did you see? There was a moment where everyone was hanging on my every word. She said, yes, they were. And I said, what did you think? She said, well, Stephen, do you realize you swore during your talk? And, um, and I said... What? And she said, you, you swore. And I said, I swore. And she said, yeah. She said, I, I, I mean, I just never heard anyone swear during a talk in church before. Did you mean to do that? And I said, I swore. What did I say? And she said, you said, don't worry, I'm not going to do it twice. And, um, and, uh, and I said, oh, no. And she said, is that going to be okay? She goes, well, there's a few people a little bit upset about it. We might have to do some kind of damage limitation. And, um, and I was so kind of thrown by this. I, I was thinking, oh, well, that's it. You know, torpedo, game over. You know, that you don't really come back from that. You've kind of hit out and that's it. And, um, but she was really kind. She was like, you've got a gift. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. Anyway, partly because I swore and I didn't want to do it again. I didn't speak again for years. And, um, but I, did, I, did, I was using what I thought was a bit of a gift. I trained to be a barrister. I love being a barrister. I love working as a barrister. I loved using my voice as a barrister. And then one day when I was in my 20s, a friend phoned up and he said, oh, you know, I'd, I'd love you to come and speak at a youth event. And I was like, oh, no, here we go again. And um, I said, I don't, I don't think that's a really good idea. Um, I, don't, I don't think, I, I'm, I'm happy using my gift in this space, but I don't want to really cross into that territory again. And um, he said, look, you should do it. And I said, no, I can't. Three reasons. Other people can do it better than me. He said, I'm sure they can. I'm asking you. Oh. I said, uh, it's not a great time for me. Life's a bit busy at the moment. He said, I know, but, but it's a good time for us. And I said, oh. And I said, well, I'm not sure I'm holy enough. He said, I'm sure you're not. But, <laughs> but if we wait until you're holy enough, we might have to wait till you're dead. And I said, oh. And um, it was like, it's so fascinating because he had seen something in me in the busyness of life, and I just lost sight of it. And I was so passionate about using this gift in my workplace and, and really seeing God use it in my workplace, I'd forgotten that it might have any other application at all. And he was calling it out. And I learned something then, that the way we discover our gifts is with other people. You need to be close enough to other people so that they can see into you and call the gifts out of you. Paul knew what Timothy's gifts were. He'd trained him, he'd walked with him, he'd spent time with him, he'd laid hands on him, and so he was able to call them out. So now I try, if I see it, I want to say it. If you see it, say it. Don't underestimate the difference you might make to someone's life by encouraging them about the gift you see in them. And this is an exciting time. This is a time when your friends need your gifts, your family needs your gift, your workplace needs your gift, your company needs your gift, your startup needs your gift, your profession needs your gifts, your family needs your gifts. There are so many opportunities to use your God-given gifts in this moment. Why don't you um, turn to your neighbor and just say, you have a God-given gift.
And then, and then um, turn to the person on the other side so they don't feel left out and say, don't worry, you have a God-given gift too. You see, we have to be able to see in. See in. But then secondly in this passage, we see we have to be able to stir up. Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Paul sees it, he calls it out, but it's Timothy's responsibility to fan it into flame. It's one thing to realize you've been given a gift. It's one thing to use that gift once or twice in your life. It's another thing to say, no, this is a gift that God has given me and I'm gonna fan it into flame. The word is like rekindle, because fires can run out of oxygen. And when fires run out of oxygen, eventually they shrink and they'll just be smoldering embers. But if you blow on it, if you fan in the oxygen, it can grow. It can come alive again. It can burn brightly. And part of that oxygen is the Spirit of God. The same Spirit who hovered over the waters, the same Spirit, you know, asking God to breathe His breath into you, to fan into flame the gift He's given you, reminding ourselves that apart from Him, all our best efforts are going to come up short, but with Him, anything is possible. But I think it also means like the oxygen of purpose. Seeing how your passions and the gifts God has given you and God's purposes might align. Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy is called to suffer. Doesn't sound that great. It doesn't sound that fun. And it feels like lots of our lives in this age are structured to avoid suffering. And sometimes we believe the lie that you can live a life that just involves comfort and convenience. And then something comes along like the last 18 months and we realize that actually, however hard we try, we're going to face suffering in our lives. You know, we can't avoid suffering. The choice in life is what we're prepared to suffer for. Your passion is what you're prepared to suffer for. It's what the word passion means. What are you prepared to suffer for? What's your purpose? Paul says, suffer for the gospel by the power of God. The purpose is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We never graduate from the gospel. Never becomes irrelevant to our day-to-day lives. We just see its implications deeper and deeper into our hearts. We realize how deeply it reveals the challenges of the structures of our society, the way we found institutions. The gospel becomes our lens for our strategy, our mission, our vision. The gospel is good news. The good news that we are not alone. That Jesus has come for us. That he has died for us. That he has risen for us. And the gospel has the power to change our hearts and to transform people's lives, to change our communities and our workplaces and our cities. That's the great purpose. That's the great passion. And we can invest our lives, our gifts, to serve the one who has suffered for us to save us. The gifts aren't just there to be discovered. They're there to be developed. They're not just there to be identified. They're there to be invested They can make a massive difference wherever you've been planted this day. 
whatever your context is, you know, whether you're negotiating with a toddler at 2 a.m. in the morning, um, as we've been doing a little bit, um, or you're negotiating with a board of directors at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. You know, wherever God has placed you. When you go to work, you're not just earning a living. You go into your workplace as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, an agent of his purpose, a carrier of his presence. And when you cross the threshold into your office, your school, your business, your hospital, your community, he is with you, fanning the flame of your gifting. You're not just going as a teacher. You're going as someone who's going to be a key role model for a whole generation of students, inspired by the ultimate role model in the universe. You're not just a midwife. You're someone who's bringing the presence of God into the very birth of new babies into our world, inspired by the one who was born as a baby. You're not just an economist. You are bringing the wisdom of God into how our resources and our outputs connect up, seeing those divine connections. You're not just a painter decorator, you're someone who is involved in a powerful way in the renewal of all things in our world. Not just a nurse or a doctor, you're someone who is using your gifts to come alongside people in the hour of need, no matter what they face. Not just an artist or a composer or a photographer, you're someone who is trying to communicate the beauty of our world, knowing the beauty which is behind the beauty in our world. You're not just an entrepreneur. You're someone who's using the gifts God has given you to creatively build new business. You're not just an academic. You're someone who's using the gifts God has given you to discover the truth which lies behind the truth of all things. Not just a carpenter. You're someone who's shaping gifts in our world in the same way that our Lord Jesus Christ did not just a barista. You're someone who recognizes that coffee is a gift from God. (laughs) And if we're going to have it, let's have great coffee. Not just a manager. You're someone who treats people according to the image of God which is in them and wants them to flourish in their lives. Not just a parent trying to get through the day, trying to keep your children alive this week, although sometimes that does feel like an achievement. You have been entrusted and empowered with one of the most significant roles on the face of the world, raising and shaping a whole new generation. You're not just a student. You are salt and light in your halls and your colleges. God is with you. He has equipped you. He is fanning into flame the gifts he's placed in you, and he longs to see your gifts set on fire. And it's true in the church as well. Sometimes we miss the significance of how God wants to use us in building the church how we might use the gifts he's given us, not just in the workplace, in our homes, in our communities, but also in the church. When I was in my early 20s and I was working away as a barrister, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I was standing in church. Someone came up to me on a Sunday and they said, Steve, um, we feel there's a call on your life. I was like, here we go. And they said, "Um, we'd love you to lead the coffee team. And um, I was like, what? And they said, we'd love you to lead the coffee team. And we need, we need a team to make coffee after the service. Could you lead it? I was like, what? And um, in my head, I was thinking, I'm working 80-hour weeks. This is the only, like, two hours in my week when I don't have any responsibility. And you want to give me a responsibility. And not just any responsibility, but responsibility for making coffee. I'm a barrister, not a barista. Why are you asking me to make coffee? And I was thinking of all these things, but you know how when someone asks you to do something, I just thought, I can't think of a reason not to. 
And so I said, okay. And so the next day, I had to turn up early. I had to start making coffee with this little team. We kind of got the coffee together. Got, tried to get the thing to boil. Tried to get the thing to boil. Tried to get the cups. Tried to clean the cups. But what I found, as I did that, here's a confession. I haven't always loved the church. Now, I, I just haven't loved the church. And um, certainly in my teens and twenties, I, I didn't really, I kind of didn't love the church. I kind of tolerated the church. The way I saw it was, like you love Jesus, and if you love Jesus, you get the church too. It's like a package deal. And so if you want to love Jesus, you have to love the church. That's just the deal. And so a bit of my love for Jesus spilled off over into the church, but I didn't really love the church. And, um, but then as I started to make this coffee for people on a Sunday morning, I started to feel a love for the church. It like threw me at first. I was like, what's that feeling? Oh, I'm feeling love for this group of people. I'm seeing the extraordinary diversity and gifting within this room. I'm seeing that actually the only connection between these people is their love of Jesus Christ and their love of coffee. That's the only thing that links them up together. So let's make this coffee really good. And I started to kind of, even as I was handing people coffee after the service, I started to feel my heart grow in love for the people in front of me. And some of them, I don't know if you know, in, in some churches, there are some quite complicated people. I haven't met any in this church yet, but I'm sure in some churches there are some quite, you know, even the people I found a bit complicated, I'd hand them a coffee, I'd feel my love grow for them. I'd see them in a whole new light. And then I started thinking, this coffee isn't good enough for these people. This coffee isn't good enough for these churches. We invested in better coffee. We invested in a new coffee machine. I was like, why don't we serve coffee before the service too? It's too important because if we want to welcome people, you know, our welcome, uh, the gospel starts with how we welcome people. We're excited to hear, let's serve coffee before the service. It completely changed my life. I love Jesus more because I love the church more because I was making coffee. I love people more because I was making coffee. I became a better barrister because I was making coffee. I learned more about leadership because I was making coffee. No one would sit you down at 23 and say, this is your leadership development track. Here's a bag of coffee. As I stepped out, something shifted. I'd still say one of the most five significant things I've ever done in my life was to make coffee after a service. Don't miss how God might want to use your gifts. You know, you're not just helping with all day's kids. You're raising up a generation who will shape the nation. You're not just leading a small group. You're forming a community which makes the gospel love of Jesus Christ visible to people. You're not just welcoming someone as they come into church. You're saying the gospel matters so much that this is going to be the most welcoming church in the whole city, the most welcoming place anyone could come. Not just inviting someone to Alpha. You're playing a part in someone moving from darkness to light. And as we stir up our gifts, we start chain reactions about which we have no idea. See in and stir up and then step out. Paul writes to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that is in you by laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. You see, even when you become aware of the gift that's in you, even when you stir it up and fan it into flame, you still have to take a step. You still have to take a risk. You still have to play a hand. You still have to put some skin in the game. And so often, the barrier that keeps us back is fear, actually. You know, I'm not sure if I've got enough time. I'm not sure if I can make a difference, really. Uh, what if I mess up? What if it goes wrong and it's a failure? What if it doesn't look that great? I don't want to seem like I'm pushing myself forward. All these things come in. But the spirit who lives in us doesn't make us timid, 
but gives us confidence and the power to take a step and to shift things. To do things with love and compassion and discipline, to keep going even when we hit a bump, even when things get tough. You see, humility is not the same thing as timidity. Often we think it's the same thing, but it's not. True humility is bold. True spirit-filled humility. Not limited by the estimation of what we think we can do in our strength. Not fearful to take a risk. Bold humility says, no, the spirit is in me. The Lord has equipped me. So I'm going to take a step of faith. And that's what I see in you. Fearless reliance on the spirit of God. We've got a deep desire to see the gospel transform lives all around us. And it's happening. People are coming to faith. Even in the last few months, we've been baptizing people who would have described themselves as strong atheists. People growing in confidence in their giftings. I had an extraordinary experience this summer. Five different people in August, five different conversations I had with people who came up to me and they said, we feel specifically called here. And we don't know why. But we feel like God is stirring something here. And we'd love to get involved. Will you just tell me, is there anything we can do to help? Don't think I've ever experienced that before in my entire life. We're seeing you know, people whose lives have been restored by this church, who have left prison, who've been mentored, who've been supported. We're seeing the youth starting to gather again in a really exciting way. We're seeing children reconnecting with friendships and making new friendships, friendships that could sustain them in their faith for the whole of their lives. We're seeing parents growing in confidence of passing on the faith to the rising generation. We're seeing people who are working in businesses and startups saying, actually, before anything else, I want to embed some values in this context that I'm working in. And you could say, well, okay, I might have a gift. Maybe I could fan it into flame. Maybe I'll take a step of faith. But what difference is it actually going to make? What is my little step of faith going to do? What is my small act of obedience going to do? You could say that. Or you could say, how many momentous events in Scripture and history depend on one person's seemingly small act of obedience? Great moves of faith rest on the shoulders of small Acts of obedience. Never underestimate what God can do with your next step when you follow that prompt, when you speak up, when you use your voice in the workplace, when you make that connection after a service, when you encourage someone in your small group or over an ice cream or a coffee at the end of the service about the gift you see in them, how that might then play out in their lives, how that might play out in the lives of people you never actually meet. I think of a doctor in our church who, who, who came here for the first time many years ago. And after the service, someone offered to pray with her. And as this person prayed with her, she knew that this was her home. She knew this is where she belonged. First time. Someone just offering to pray for her. Might seem like such a small thing. It's transformed her life. It's transformed the lives of many in this church. You know, I was thinking with all the students starting to arrive this weekend and in the coming weeks, don't underestimate the impact that we as a church can have. You know, I texted 
two friends last night because I thought, you know what, we say that, but what's the actual concrete reality of that fruit? One of my friends I texted, she wrote this back to me. She said, when I look back on my time in Oxford, without a doubt, St. Aldate's definitely had the biggest impact on me. Sundays were extraordinary. People were so smiley and friendly. I just remember feeling a sense of freedom and joy in that church I had never experienced before. I found somewhere I could be myself and truly where I belonged. I learned for the first time what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit and received amazing teaching. I'm so indebted to the people who invested in me. My perspective changed and I learned what it is to be part of God's bigger redemption story, to be brave, to step out, to be people of no compromise while fully engaging with the world. I'm so grateful to St. Aldate's, a place which I will probably always call my spiritual home. 25 years ago, in this church, my other friend said this, I'd come to faith just before coming to Oxford. I had never known anyone become a Christian other than myself. Within two weeks of moving to the city, a fellow fresher came with me to St. Aldate's. He became a Christian in that very first service and then grew and grew over the months and years that followed. It blew my mind. I'd never thought of evangelism as something that I could be involved in. I went on my first mission trip while I was there to China and I have felt a calling to Asia ever since. Two people. Those two people got married. Those two people have done extraordinary things with their lives and seven years ago, they planted a church in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Seven years ago, this week, they planted that church. Over the last seven years, they have baptized people who have come to faith for the first time. They have baptized 443 people in their church. It's not separate from you. It's not far away from you. You're connected to this. It's connected to this church. It's happening right now. That's one example from 25 years ago. But there are countless others that we could tell, countless stories we could tell. Students and other people, young professionals, families, lives who have been transformed in this place. Don't underestimate the impact of your small act of obedience. See in, fan into flame, step out in faith. This is a time to discover and use our gifts. We can't be all that God has created us to be without them. It's not too early. It's not too late. Yes, you might have faced disappointment. Yes, things might not have worked out the way you had hoped. But God is not surprised and he hasn't given up. His calling and his gifts are irrevocable. And this can be a day, a month, a year where you take a step. You ask him to breathe again on the gifts he has placed within you and see Mike, how he used you to build this church, to bless this city and to transform the lives of those around you.